The Kingdom Rock Network is proud to present the ministry of Pastor Leon Armstrong of World Overcomers Ministries in Madison, Mississippi. Greetings, this is Leon Armstrong, the founding pastor of World Overcomers Ministries Church in the city of Madison, Mississippi. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Living Truth Broadcast. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on the web at woministries.org. If you are visiting in the Jackson, Madison, Mississippi area, you are welcome always to be our guest. You can locate us at 444 Pebble Creek Drive, Madison, Mississippi. It is our prayer that you are richly blessed by the Word of God. Please receive now our word for today. I'm going to ask you to turn again with to me with with me to um, the book of Mark. Um, we want to nail this down and take this a step further concerning. Unity. We're talking about unity, and uh, we've talked about love uh, some some months ago. But the following results of the kind of love that God uh, wants us to endeavor to practice leads to unity. And without unity, we will never become the people that God has purposed. We'll never accomplish the things that God has purpose is going to be accomplished through a household, through a corporate people, a corporate man. Unity of the Lord has to be in place. All right. And so we want to talk about that. Last week we talked about fishers of men. That's what Jesus said, that he calls us to be fishers of men. And the relevance of that is that these professional fishermen used nets, not lines. They didn't use a single line with a hook and bait. They used nets. Nets are a picture of unity. It's a picture of unity. And when God brings us together and is growing us together, it is a net that should be formed. Because if he's going to catch the harvest, the multitudes of nations, of unsaved people, it has to be a net. The nets have to be right. It can't be torn or broken. It can't be filthy and dirty. The nets have to be right. And if there's going to be a harvest in the, this day, in this generation, and there is, uh, then we got to get our unity in place. We've got to get the nets right, all right? And that includes you. you everyone in here has a purpose. Everyone in here has an assignment. Everyone in here is being called to serve. Everyone in here is being called to connect and find their place in ministry and serve and give themselves. Everyone, not one person should be without some assignment. And God is wanting his people to not only come in to get blessed for what they need, but to come and give for what has been deposited in them because what's in you has to benefit the whole of everyone. Did you know that? So when you're not contributing to what your assignment is, then there's something we're missing because of you. We all are contributing to the whole of what God is doing. And so we're going to talk about that. Let's read in Mark uh, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I think. That's, is that what I told you? Is that what I told you? Are y'all here today with me? <laughs> Amen. All right. Verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, 
Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. In other words, turn ye and believe the gospel. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets and straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after them and one of the things that is significant I'm stopping there is that uh, they, they the, the, the beginning of all things have to start with us following Jesus coming after him he puts high significance on following him if we're not following him then we cannot become what he is calling us to become. If we're going to become fishers of men, if we're going to become unified, if we're going to become uh, those who are caring one for another, where we look like and talk like and live like the house of God, it all starts with following him. But I wanted you to pay attention to what he saw. And we talked about what was uh, the options of Jesus, that he could have gone to different professions, different uh, you know, people who, who could have been potential recruits for his ministry, but he went to fishermen. And one of the things that I thought was qualifying, because uh, I'm going to talk about two things that we have to do with our nets today. One is he saw them mending their nets. He saw them in verse 2, excuse me, verse uh, 19, uh, mending uh, their nets. They were mending their nets. And let's talk about mending the nets, because oftentimes when these professional fishermen uh, would cast their nets. A lot of times they didn't catch anything, but they would drag the nets and the nets would catch upon the bottom of the f ocean or sea floor and it might catch branches or, or rocks or some other things that can potentially tear the nets. And so when they were done fishing, they had to take time. They couldn't continue to use nets that were compromised, that were broken or torn or divided. They had to take time before they went back fishing to mend the nets, to retie those spots and strengthen the continuity of that net so that their fishing efforts could be effective. If they were to keep fishing without mending their nets, then that potentially they would lose a lot of, of produce, of potential catches, because they would lose a lot of fish. We talked about uh, last Sunday how that this fishing trip at the, was the beginning of Jesus' ministry and how it was prophetic to the beginning of the church age and that at the beginning of the church age 2,000 years ago, we said that the nets began to rent or to tear and men became divided in the church. And thus, as time progressed, by the time you get to back the days of the Protestant movement, you start to get the branch off of the church, of denominations, divisions started happening, doctrines of men. But it began back 2,000 years ago. And this is the very thing that Paul cried about. It's the very thing that he prayed about with the church of Ephesus, that when he left, that there would be those who would rise up out of that congregation 
congregation and to begin to develop their own little doctrine and call followers unto themselves, as well as wolves coming in from the outside to come in and divide the flock. And sure enough, as time progressed through the church age, through church history, you start to see division after division after division. The nets are being torn and rent. And it hasn't changed. The nets have been broken ever since. Ever since then, the nets have been torn. But the thing we saw in the end of Jesus' ministry was another fishing trip where they hauled in a boatload of fish, but the nets did not break. And so that speaks of what's just ahead of us. That speaks to this generation. That means that God is going to put some things in order with his house to make our unity and our love so solid that now we can catch that harvest of souls out there and the nets won't break. They won't come in and go out. Can y'all say amen? God's got a plan is what I'm trying to tell you, and you are part of it. And so we have to be found mending. We have to start mending our nets. We have to, we have to start mending our nets, which means we have to be ready to, listen, they're, they're invariably, I, we're, we're going to have uh, things that tear. We're going to have things that, that, that come apart. But we want to understand that we have to be responsible to put them back together. We don't want to remain a dysfunctional net that continues to stay ripped or torn where there is no unity, uh, where is, there is no love. I want you to look at something because I want to show you the difference. We don't want to get into our pride or self-ambition. This often leads to men becoming divided. True unity has to be established by God and not man. True unity has to be established by God and not man. If man tries to establish unity, then all he's doing is creating people and generating and motivating people to follow him, which ultimately does not lead to unity. It may start off that way, but I promise you it'll crumble and come, come apart. Because anytime man starts to create his own sense of following and he starts to try to generate unity where we're all agreement with one another, that really starts to be a testament against God. It's saying, I'm walling you away. I don't need you. We can do this ourselves. And when that happens, and it has throughout the church world, is that we start to lose something. Things get scattered, confounded, confused, divided. There starts to become schisms. There starts to be all kinds of things that divide people one from another because there's no not a, the unity that comes from God. So let's take a look at a picture of this. In Genesis 11, you, you remember this when Nin, in, in Nineveh, uh, not, uh, I think it was Nineveh, when, when uh, Nimrod, rather, uh, was, uh, not Nineveh, but, but uh, when Nimrod was ruling in Genesis 11, and they came together as one people. Let's just make a quick reference to that. We're going to go to Ephesians 3, where we were last Sunday, and talk about the spirit, uh, the unity of the spirit. But first, before we do that, let's look at this in Genesis 11. And I want you to, to just pay attention as I read this from verse 1. Genesis 11 says, And the whole earth was of one language, that sounds like unity, and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another. This is what they said one to another. Go to, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. 
and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this is they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, and they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did come or did there confound the language of all the earth, from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So you see, they, they had a plan, a one language, one mind. They had a unity there that had been generated in the earth by man, and they wanted to build a city and build a tower and build it up to touch heaven. Well, see, that is the wrong uh, place for unity to start. Unity does not start from man, from the earth, to go up to heaven. That's the problem with religions today. Religions have their own efforts to reach God. Religion has their own followings, their own schools. Even the church, men have started their own followings and their own schools, and they're writing their own Bibles because they're trying to build something for themselves that makes a name for them. And they want to touch heaven with what they build. But that's a big mistake because what ends up happening is it gets scattered. It becomes nothing. It becomes disunity. Well, let's go back to where we were last Sunday. Let's go back to, to Ephesians 4. Let's take a look at that. Now, here's where real unity is. Because, see, we have to stray away from the temptation to act on our own accord. We have to endeavor to stay with what the Lord has established. Ephesians 4. You there? Verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness, see that's, that's a good trait right there. You can't be pride and lowly. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in what? In love. Endeavoring, here's your, here's your exertion, here's where you labor, here's what you're supposed to go out of your way to do. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Let me just refer to the board real quick because the opposition and the enemy will always, again, get people in pride to start from man's perspective to build unity with the agreement of man to touch heaven. But true unity starts from heaven and reaches down to earth. You get that? It should never start with man to reach heaven. It starts from heaven. 
Jesus, did not Jesus, when he walked the earth, says it's expedient that I go to my father. He says, I will go to him, but I will send you another comforter. I'm going to send the spirit. So upon his ascension to the right hand of the Father, he sends his spirit, and his spirit establishes the unity that is in Christ. And so anyone that comes into the body, into the church, they're coming into a unity that is established by God already. You don't have to add anything to this unity. You don't have to change this unity. It's already right from the beginning. And all God is saying is, I want my people to come into my unity, and that means you've got to leave your ideals out the door and come in and find out what God's ideals are so that you can grow together in something that unifies us and creates a community of faith, a community of love, a community to where we are believing God and his truth because this is established, this is the commandment, this, see the whole Holy Spirit comes to bring instructions from God. This is who Jesus is. He did this for you. He did that for you. This is what he's trying to bring you to. And what you start to discover is that this all summarized as love. This is a summary of love. It's instructions of love. So what he's telling us is by my spirit, I'm giving an environment, I'm creating an environment called the body of Christ where we all learn to love one another. So whatever ideal of love you have learned in the world will not work in the environment of the Holy Spirit. We are coming to shed off our ideas so that we can come and learn how to connect and love one another. Go to, uh, uh, let me see, I think it's Ephesians. I may be wrong. No, 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter. Let's add this because I want you to see the word. I would quote it. First Peter. Because see, this is about us staying. If he's going to stay uh, in the unity of the spirit, you have to be able to do what the spirit is telling you to do. How about that? You have to do what the spirit is telling you to do. That's the big lesson in this. You, if you can't do what the spirit is telling you to do, then you can't really take advantage to grow in this environment, in this community. All right. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, start at 20. Yeah, yeah. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. You see verse 22 there? It says, seeing, seeing, what are you seeing? Seeing you have purified your souls in doing what? Oh, man, y'all need to say that again. I'm doing what? Obeying, Obeying the truth through, through what? Spirit. Through the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is giving the directive of truth. He is also, the Spirit of unity is also the Spirit of truth. So he says, seeing that you have purified your souls, and the more you obey the truth, that your soul is become, becoming more pure. And obeying the truth through the Spirit now this is the objective, unto, unto, unfeigned love of who? The All the brethren, unfeigned love. That we learn, that's, that's the objective. He's giving the spirit of unity, gives the instructions in truth, 
that we may attain to unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with pure heart fervently. That's the instructions of the spirit of unity. Because remember the foundation, before you can get to unity, before any of us can really get the fruit of unity, it's going to be the, based on the foundation of love. If love is established, if we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, it starts with us loving one another and continuing to practice that love. And you have to put in effort for that love. And the more you do that, the fruit of that is unity. Are y'all with me? So you have to obey the spirit who says, love one another. If you keep doing love one another, then what's going to happen is a unity is going to become strengthened. It's going to be established because, in other words, we're growing into what he's already established. He's established unity. He's giving us instructions on how to maintain this unity. And the only way to maintain this unity is we start loving one another. That's the foundation of being this nets, these nets, the mending of the nets. So if I'm loving you, then I'm keeping the nets mended. I'm learning to mend the nets rather than let the nets tear. Y'all with me? See, if we get to friction between each other and we can't serve with each other and we can't work together and we become offended because different personalities can't get along with other personalities and we start practicing what people do in the world, then what, what happens is we allow this friction to cause a division in the church. We allow things to cause t tension and that tension tears, it breaks. But you have to then go beyond that by the spirit who says endeavor to love regardless of the tension. Go out of your way to be kind one to another, to love one another, to help one another, to be forgiving of one another. That's mending the nets. That's keeping the nets mended. They will tear, but you gotta keep mending the nets. Are y'all with me? So that's something we have to endeavor to do. We have to give ourselves to do that. We cannot afford to come in here because here, here's another picture. You and I, are in a world that is governed by the mindset of individualism and independence. People love to be independent. You see it just from children. Independent, I can do it myself. Leave me alone. Independence, but in God's camp, we cannot be independent. We are not called to be independent. We are called to be interdependent. We're called to depend on one another. We need one another to grow. I've got to grow because of you. You have something that, that I see that God is doing in you that can be a blessing to me. There's a gift in you that when you let your gift be used, that gift becomes a blessing to everyone in the body. There's, there's an interdependence that is there. Are y'all with me? We, we, we need each other. Now, you look at your body. It is a unity. This is a unity. This is a unity going on. And, and so, uh, listen, when you, when you get hungry, when you and I get hungry, and we all know what that feels like, you know, so we, we, we know that it, it, it starts to, where do you feel it? How do you know you're hungry? Where, 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 where's the area of your body that, that, that tells you you're hungry? The stomach. Your stomach starts to feel the hunger, the, the need for food. Well, see, that's just not your, your stomach that, that's needing food. That's your hand, your foot, your leg, your arm, your thigh, your head. 
every part of your body is interdependent upon the stomach that says, we are lacking fuel and energy, we need food, feed us, and the stomach starts to do its part and give the signal, we're hungry. And so when you eat, and you hopefully eat something nutritious, that when you eat that nutritious food, that nutrition starts to satisfy the hunger, and the stomach is not the only part that is being satisfied. It is your foot being satisfied, your toe being satisfied, your hand, your elbow, your arm, your shoulder, your head. Every part of the body is being satisfied because of that food. Are y'all with me? That's an interdependence. One part of the body cannot sit up and eat on its own. My hand says, give me my plate. My leg can't say, give me my plate. My foot can't say, give me my plate. No, we have to depend on one part of the body, the mouth and the stomach, to take care of the nutrition value that the body needs, and everyone gets the benefit of it. Amen. So listen, if, if we're missing the parts, if we're missing that, if we're not in the community interdependent upon one another, if we're not listening to the spirit to love one another, to help one another, to forgive one another, then something's missing. We're not benefiting from all that God is trying to do through us. Can you say amen? Look at, uh, not, you don't have to tell, I'll read it. I'll read it. First Peter 4 and 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. You are therefore, be ye therefore sober. Watch unto prayer. This is instructions of the Spirit. The Spirit is speaking. Above all things, above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. Isn't that interesting that the Holy Spirit is telling you that the end of all things is at hand? And for you and I, so he says, above all things, you and I ought to do this. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. That means you and I have no business judging each other. We have no business discussing and gossiping about our failures, our sins, our message. We have no business doing that. Not in this community of faith. Not in, not in the environment of the Holy Spirit called the church where the Holy Spirit has established us and is instructing us to love one another. We have no business putting down one another. We have no business highlighting, highlighting our flaws and our mess up. We have no business pointing to finger at each other. We have no business judging each other in the name of Jesus. That should not happen in this environment. It happens all day long in the world, but it shouldn't happen in God's house. Amen. For he says, use hospitality one to another without grudging, without grudging. Do you know, there are a couple of pairs of words and there are others that are very powerful between people, very powerful. Simple words like, are y'all ready to hear this? This is a deep truth. This is a deep truth. And it's real simple. All you have to do, even if you're, not wrong, if you're not wrong with people, is just say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. That's a good practice. We all need to learn that. You may have some friction with what your brother or sister. You just say, I didn't, I didn't do anything to them. I don't know why they feel that way. Go to them. I, I'm sorry if I've done anything. I'm sorry. I don't want to not get along with you. I want to get along with you. I want us to work together. I'm sorry. Forgive me if I've done something. 
Maybe I can be a little overbearing. Maybe I can be a little tense. I'm sorry if something about my personality makes it difficult. I'm sorry. Just, just a little simple word, and you'll be surprised how it snatches the power of division right out the atmosphere. It just kills it. All right. But if we keep to ourselves and we start thinking, I don't know what that problem is. They're always looking at me, and I didn't even do anything. And see, you got a battle going on in your mind, and they don't even know about it. All right. And so division, just the debts keep tearing because we don't know. It may have been, it, the person may not have known that they did something to offend you. But be able to come and say something. I'll, I appreciate, I think it was uh, Sister Chiquita here. I mean, we were over in the building the other day, uh, before a few weeks back, when we had the preparing for the fellowship. And, and uh, at the end of the, all of that picnic and all of that stuff, it was, she was very tired because she was the one doing a lot of running and putting things together, and as uh, well as others. And she sat down because we were talking about the next event was going to be movie night, and she sat back in the chair. She said, I'm not going to movie night. <laughs> you know, she just said, I'm not going. And, that's, and I understood. It didn't bother me. I think she's because she had graduation that same weekend and everything, but it bothered her. And she came back to me at the Bible study the following week and said, Pastor, I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry if I said I didn't mean anything. I said, I wasn't bothered by this. <laughs> I wasn't bothered by that. I understood you had a lot to do and a lot on your plate. But she just took time out to say I'm sorry because she became concerned about the way she responded to me. And so, that's a, that's, see, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good practice. There may not be any offense. But, but just in case, I, I'm sorry, did I say anything? I, I, I'm sorry, I apologize, forgive me. We ought to be able to do that. Mend the nets, mend the nets. Keep the unity, keep the, the love together. Keep, we ought to keep that connection together and not let anything tear it. Because I'm telling you, your and my greatest blessing is in when we can treat each other right. All right. Too many people trying to walk their individual holiness and righteousness so that God can bless them. And I'm telling you, your greatest advantage of being blessed and activity of God is when we can treat each other right and keep the unity of the spirit. And God, you'll find a great, great blessing in that. I want to add one more thing to this. Uh, we, we, we start, go to Luke 5. Let's add this. Let's add this. Let's add this. Luke 5. And I want to bring it on uh, bring it on in. We, well, I'm still teaching. I just want you to, I want to lay this out because there's something else we have to do with our nets. Not only must we mend our nets, but we have to do this with our nets before it's time to go fishing. Before the blessings, before the greatest thing that God will ever do comes to pass in our lives. Uh, <clears throat> what did I tell you? Luke. Yeah. Verse 1. Mm-hmm. And it says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake uh, Genesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were doing what? They were washing their nets. That's something else. We're mending our nets. That is to keep unity and love between each other. Keep love between each other. That's the practice of mending our nets. Keep the love between us. You've got to endeavor to do that. And then we ought to wash our nets because oftentimes nets became entangled with seaweed and all kinds of stuff got caught into the nets 
when they would fish. And so before they would throw out the net again, they would have to get all that stuff out of the nets so that they can net. And it's, it tells us that it's necessary that our unity, our togetherness must be clean. That's what this environment does. That's, that's something else that this environment does. So it, it, it not only does this environment require us or instructs us to love, we've got to love to be in this as the instruction of the spirit, but this environment calls for us to be clean. And the, clean, the cleaning of us is through truth, okay? So when you and I are being grown up, we're being raised up in the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth is what cleanses. Jesus says, you are clean. You are clean by the words that I speak. Jesus also said, sanctify them. He prayed in John 17, sanctify them with thy word. Thy word is truth. So that means this environment that we're growing up in, that we're growing up in faith in, we're growing up in the, the confines, the unity of the spirit, there has to be a continuity in all of us that we're learning the truth that is in Christ. We're learning to see ourselves clean through what Jesus did for us. Does that make sense? You have to, listen, one of the biggest things to obtain for the body of Christ is to obtain an undefiled conscience. An undefiled conscience. The conscience is the part of your soul that is like a mirror that reflects how you see yourself and how you live. And depending on how you see yourself, that's exactly how you carry yourself. And if you see yourself as a sinner because you committed a sin, guess what? That's the conscience is going to give you a reflection of yourself, and you're going to see yourself as dirty, sinful. And how many know that is a disfigurement of what Jesus did? So if Jesus is saying, I see you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in my sight, and you come along and says, but I sin and I see myself as a dirty sinner that I can't come close to you. You're not going to hear my prayer. I'm no good. If you've got that view of yourself, if you see yourself as, a, as some sinner rather than a son, then you have got a distorted view in your conscience. And listen, this is the house of God. Look at yourself. Hit yourself on the chest right here. Say, this is the house of God. Here, hit yourself right here on the soul. Say, this is the temple of the living God. Uh -huh. So whatever, how you, you got, if you got wrong images in the temple, you got wrong images in this holy sanctuary, you need to clean it out by the truth that is in Jesus. You ever go to a carnival and walk into a house of mirrors and the mirrors are all distorted and disfigured when you stood, stand in it? I stood in a house of mirrors some years ago and I'm a tall man, but I stood in a house of mirrors and one of the mirrors made me look short short and wide and, and, and all disfigured. I stepped into another mirror uh, and my face and head went that way and my chin went that way and my one shoulder was up and one shoulder was down and one leg was long and one leg was short. It, it disfigured me. It was a mirror. I was looking at myself but it gave me a reflection, a wrong reflection of what I looked like. And until I got to a real mirror that showed the true image 
of what I look like. And if you really want to know what you look like before God, under the blood of Jesus, you look like Jesus. You talk like Jesus. You stand like Jesus. You're perfect like Jesus. You're holy like Jesus. You are righteous like Jesus. You just got to get in the right mirror and look at your own self. Get your conscience clean. Get out all of those wrong mirrors out of the house. Get the wrong mirrors out of your soul so that you can see yourself the way God sees you. And if we see ourselves clean, we'll treat ourselves clean. If we see ourselves holy, we'll live holy. You know, you'll get what you'll live based on what you see. And if you see yourself holy, I'm telling you, you'll live holy because this is a holy house of God. This is a holy environment. God has made us holy based on what Jesus did and now we have to grow in holiness to live holy. That's going to be a net that this world has never ever seen before. It's going to catch people. You know why? Because the nets in the past in the church have tried to catch souls. They tried to catch the souls with torn nets and dirty nets. And a dirty net is when the church is trying to catch people and come in and be in here and then they preach hard on sin. And then they say, if you sin, be careful, you're gonna go to hell for this. And see, that's a dirty net because it doesn't preach the truth of what Jesus did. It doesn't show people what Jesus did for them about their sins. Someone was sharing with me the other day that another preacher is telling his people and his deacons, if you sin, be careful, you're gonna go to hell for that sin. You're going to go to hell for that sin. And he says, until you get saved all over again, you go to hell for that sin. That is an abominable doctrine. That is, that is asinine. That is absolutely just ridiculous that a preacher would stand in a pulpit and tell people that they have to get saved all over again to keep from going to hell because they committed a sin as a, as a believer. That is absolutely ridiculous. But it's the kind of things that have no continuity with the spirit of unity. That's not the spirit of unity because the spirit of unity will preach the truth that is in Christ. He will show you the scriptures that says to wit God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but listen, has given them the word of reconciliation. They will preach the scriptures that says, blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is that man for the Lord will not count his iniquity against him. What about scriptures like that? You can't preach that if you're preaching. You, you know, this is the continuity with the spirit that our covenant says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That would be in continuity of the spirit. You can't go around and preach something that is unclean, leaving spots on people, teaching people how to see themselves as dirty and unwanted and, and anything but a child of God. We have to be able to see ourselves clean based on the truth of what Jesus did about us and for us, and we need to treat each other as such. See, I can't, I can't think I'm clean and then treat you like you're not clean because the same God who shed his blood for me shed his blood for you. And the same God that forgives me forgives you. I have to consider that, and that's cleaning the nets. We treat each other as we're clean, and we live holy. We influence one another in the name of Jesus. Do you know that for the last part of the fishing trip, and I'm almost finished, in John 21, that Jesus came on shore. This was the second fishing trip at the end of his ministry. He said, children, do you have any meat? 
They said, no. And he said, cast your net on the right side and you shall have. They threw their nets out. Nets got filled with fish. Nets didn't break. John went over to Peter and said, hey, it's the Lord. And it was a strange thing. Peter didn't even look. It seemed like if somebody would have whispered, this is the Lord, I would have looked. Really? But all it says that Peter did is he took his fish's garment because his upper body had nothing on it. He was naked from the waist upward and he put his fishing jacket on and girded it up. And then he jumped in. I said, Lord, wow. This man who had taken off his fish's jacket because you know he said I'm going fishing he was all discombobulated had had pretty much taken himself out of his faith and resigned from the ministry seemed like when he said I, I go a fishing and it's true that we start off well doing for the Lord but then we become weary and so we take off the covering of our assignment. We take it off. We want to set it down. I'm not on fire anymore. I don't feel like loving anymore. I tried to give my best and do my all. I hadn't seen any change. So we take off our assignment. We take off our covering. But I want to say this, that when you see, and I want to tell you, this is not the time to take anything off of you. This is not the time to lose focus because it is the Lord. It is the Lord that is speaking to us. It is the Lord that is saying, I'm about to change things. It is the Lord. Have you ever been in a trial, in a trouble? You've been waiting, you've been praying, and nothing seems to happen. And then all of a sudden, you had a breakthrough, something, a prayer that you've been waiting for, for an answer. And then when it happened, it happened so tremendously that it made you go back to try to retrace your steps to see how this came to pass. And you couldn't figure out how this came to pass. And all that you could do was come to the conclusion that this was the Lord. That's all you could do. You couldn't figure out how this happened. It was the Lord. And I'm telling you, this is not the time to give up because you're going to find out that everything you've been going through, everything you've been challenged with, you're going to find out that it was all leading to something awesome and you're going to say it was the Lord. It was the Lord. So what does that mean? It means gird up. Put, put, it, put, your, put your calling, your mission back on. Put, stir up your gift. Get back into focus on what God has called you to do. It was the same Peter who later on wrote, gird up the loins of your mind and get yourself set at the revelation of Jesus Christ for the abundant grace that he's about to bring to you in these last days. And so he says, gird up. Everybody say gird up. Gird up, that means get, get focused, get prepared. Get yourself, when a person gird up, they roll up their sleeves. It means I'm focused, I'm expecting, I know what's about to happen, the Lord is speaking, and I'm getting myself ready. I'm staying on point, I don't feel like it, I'm tired, I've been disappointed, I've been frustrated, I've been stressed. But the Lord, it is the Lord who's saying, don't stop, keep focused. Don't you stop because I'm about to do something, I'm about to show a miracle, I'm about to bring glory, I'm about to show myself mighty in there. Don't you dare stop my son, my daughter. Don't you stop. Gird up yourself. Roll up your sleeves. Get busy. Hold your position. Keep working. Keep loving one another. Keep forgiving one another. Keep plow. Put, keep your hands on the plow. 
Keep on digging in. I'm about to prevail. I'm about to have a breakthrough in this in this world. Keep your focus. Gird yourself up. Stay holy. Stay clean. Stay focused. Stay in unity one with another. Gird up your loins. Keep your mind ready and get prepared. I will show you great and mighty things. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another more and more as you see the day approaching. Keep yourself ready and do the will of the Lord because God, listen, he says, I heard in the spirit where the Lord says, oh, get ready, you inhabitants of the earth, get ready. I am about to kiss this earth with my glory. I am going to set my passion like fire across this globe. I'm going to set it on fire. Many shall come into my kingdom. Many shall feel my passion. Many shall overcome through my glory. Don't you give up because the best thing that this world has ever seen is about to happen. Keep yourself in my faith. Keep, my, keep yourself in my love. Keep yourself in my truth. I'm about to prevail. Do not give up, the Lord says. Do not give up. I'm about to change things tragically in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Come on and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Gird up. Gird up. Tighten up. Prepare up. Stand up. Stay committed. Stay on track. God is going to break this thing through.